0: Nick Helm and Nathaniel Metcalf's Fan Club on Foo Bar Radio.
1: And we're off and we're doing it. We're here. We're here. And once again, fan club is live. <laughs> oh god. It is live
2: for us. Always live. It is, for us. it's
1: always live and I never listen to it back because um you know life's
2: just... <laughs> <laughs> even in lockdown it would be too much wouldn't it it would be too expensive to you know what
1: i hear enough of my voice <laughs> or one of my voices uh all week long <laughs> all day every day i don't need to block it out with more of my voice so yeah
2: um yeah okay cool so we saw each other this week didn't we we did we had uh we had an outside meeting which we're allowed to do now it's uh the new, the new, the new normal. So I cycled up to yours. <laughs> yeah. uh, absolutely exhausted myself. Uh, spent most of the time dreading going back because I didn't want to go back to make the return journey. Yeah, yeah. Um, but it was good to see you. Very nice to see you.
1: Yeah. But
2: um, um, uh, well, we've done all of our talking this week, so. Yeah, we've already spoken about all our stuff, so. I guess we'll see you all next week. See you all next next week. Friday at twelve.
1: See ya. Uh, um, no, anyway, see so you are listening to Five Star Family Fun Size Fan Club. Mm-hmm. Thank you for thank you for uh, tuning in. Take first rule of fan club: uh, tell your friends about fan club. Simple as that, isn't it? Simple. Same one. First. Same, same, same first, as anything. First rule of fan club: tell your friends about fan club. Maybe we should get our guests to say that. Yeah. <sighs> I'm spitballing here, but like maybe it would be good to have like, you know, someone turn turn point to the camera and say, "Tell your friends about Fan Club."
2: Yeah, we could get that. We could get them to do eye, little eye dance for us, couldn't they? Saying, hey, you're listening to Fan Club." Um, Assuming it's an American guest.
1: Yeah, we should actually get um, Natalie to sort that out. So make a note to tell her once this is finished, because I, I don't know if she listens anymore. <laughs> oh well, we are truly just, yeah. alone. Yeah. So <laughs> here we are. I'm having a weird day. So here we <laughs> here we are. okay right okay, I'm gonna get in the zone. I'm gonna get in the, the zone that it can only be uh, 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 reached.
2: For the, for the benefit of the uh, the listeners, we are starting later than we normally would to accommodate our guests this week. So normally we'd do it at start at two, but today we're starting at four. So it's much later in the day for us and we've got, it's post-lunch. Yeah. We're going to be going right up till six. So for us, even though not for you if you're listening live, but you can listen to it when you like if you're listening on the podcast. This is like, this is almost like the drive time slot. Food bar drive time.
1: Well, this feels like a sleepy afternoon now, which is great for me, because as soon as this finishes, I'm going to switch everything off and go straight to bed <laughs> uh, and then not think about anything until tomorrow. Best way. Um, it's best way to do it. Well, we're allowed out to, to see people now, were not we? Yeah. Um, first, uh, OK, let's do this again. Right. And we're off. Okay, here we are. Hello, my name's Nick Helm, and I'm joined
2: by Nathaniel Metcalf.
1: And you're listening to Five Star Family Fun Size Fan Club. Here we go. Here, fan club. I mean, what? Okay, rule of fan club. We'll do it like that. We'll do it like that. Tell your friends. Yeah. And then, second rule of fan club is please, for the love love of all all that is holy, on this cursed earth. (laughs) <laughs> Please tell your
2: friends. So Nathaniel, yes.
1: what have you been a fan of this week?
2: What have I been a fan of? I have seen a bunch of stuff. I know one of the things we were sort of talking about the other day was the Coming to America sequel that I liked a lot. Well let's um,
1: pretend let's pretend that we didn't meet.
2: Yeah. Uh Coming to America, Nick. Coming to America.
1: Coming the, to the America. sequel
2: to coming to America. Yeah. I was a fan of that this week. It's a new film sequel on Amazon Prime. Well, that's good. So you can all see that. Is there anything else that you saw this week? I saw a really great film, actually, called The Incident.
1: That sounds like you're now saying that coming to America wasn't really that great.
2: I thought it was good. I thought it was it was exactly what I wanted. I didn't feel like it was a great, great film. Well, and I okay. felt like it was sort of... I felt all it really was was like... A, uh, a series of callbacks to the first film. But because I liked the first film, I enjoyed it all. Like, I just... I sort of loved it. I kind of... It was everything I wanted out of a sequel. And it was... But I could also say, like, hand on heart, I couldn't say, like, it's a well-made film or it's really, like, uh, well put together. But the fact... I just really liked seeing all the characters again. Really liked all the callbacks to the first film. Uh, really liked... Uh, how much effort they'd gone to. I really liked Eddie Murphy in it. I liked how he'd, uh, how sort of un, uh, how egoless it seemed and how loads of other cast members got big kind of funny comic moments and it didn't feel like he had to be the star of it. Um, I really enjoyed it. Really liked seeing the characters again. I thought it was a lot of fun. But then it's sort of like, it's not like, it doesn't feel like a good film because it is just, it just exists to, sort of but I mean in a way it's probably a really good sequel because it it's a bit of a tick box of moments from the first one repeated and seeing a lot of the same faces from the first one again. But I really liked it. Mm. Did you see coming to America?
1: Yes I did. Thank you for asking. Uh I did see it. Um well, it's everywhere, isn't it? And everyone is posting these pit these these posts about how nostalgic and wonderful it is to see everyone back together again, which is nice. It's nice that people are united by that. Um, uh, well, so I um, saw coming, coming the original, coming to America, probably for the first time all the way through last year. Uh-huh. I remember distinctly I, in the 90s, I um, uh, had some friends over and we were staying up to watch the Oscars. And at about midnight, Paramount Comedy was showing Coming to America. And it was on in the background while we were sort of like drinking. And um, and I've seen like bits and pieces. I grew up being a big John Landis fan. American Werewolf, Blues Brothers, um, Animal House. You know.
2: American Werewolf in London.
1: Didn't I say that first?
2: Oh, did you? i pretty sure I did.
1: Oh, okay um but if not i i mean my m- mind isn't working properly, <laughs> but <laughs> three, America, Amiga. What, three Amiga, like i but you know, I've always thought that John Landis is a sort of a bit of um he has like he has um directorial quirks that he adds into all of his films, like he does people looking at the camera uh are trading places. He has people looking at the camera. He has, um, you know, to punctuate a joke. Uh, he has, like, um, see you next Wednesday, signs everywhere. Uh, you know, he has, like, little little things that make and John Landis. He always has sort of, sort of like a and b or soul sort of, like, soundtrack. Um, and there's little things that kind of, like, let you know that it's a John Landis film. But as a filmmaker, he is a fairly basic filmmaker. We were sort of talking about this the other day. But like mm. when you look at someone like Kevin Smith, who uh, he sort of like he just refused to learn as a filmmaker. Yeah. And so you see his, his fil- you see his early films, and they're great. They're very sort of like basic, rough around the edges. Uh, and you're kind of like, this is a guy that's learning how to make films. Very sort of like simple, locked-off shots. Um, but, uh, but it's enough, because the stories are simple enough to sort of like get across what he's trying to do. And you know that's fantastic. And then later on, you see kind of like, you know, uh, the Jay and Silent Bob reboot, and you realise he hasn't improved at all as a filmmaker in all of this time. And that's kind of his fault. You Know he hasn't, do you know what I mean? It's kind no, of no, I know exactly
2: I, what you mean. I think, and I think he would probably be the first to admit that as well. I yeah, think I he's think he's very he, aware of his own limitations.
1: I think he would, but I find that frustrating because you go, you're aware of your limitations, but you haven't, do you know what I mean? You've got yeah. all of this, all of this at your disposal. When you look at like John Landis, a lot of his shots are very kind of like simplistic. He will edit on, as an example, he will edit. After someone's spoken. So there'll be like a a dialogue scene between two or three people. And when the person is talking, the camera will be on them. And then when the person stops talking, it will go to the next person that's talking. And then it'll go back again. And there's no sort of like real flow to a lot of his dialogue scenes. Um, Which is incredible because he also directed the... Uh, car chase scene in Blues Brothers.
2: Yeah, I was going to say that. You know, yeah, which
1: is a very complicated set, but I think a lot of that would be kind of like, where do you want the cameras? We've got as much. We're doing it for real, so we don't have like the fantasy land of creating something in a computer and then digitally placing the cameras afterwards. It's kind of like you go, um, you know, you've you've got you've got one shot at at, um, at filming this car chase or this car crash. So, you know, place the cameras, and then a lot of it's up to the stunt team. I'm not taking anything away from John Landis, because I really loved his films growing up. But even stuff like... Even, like, his masterpieces, like uh, American Werewolf for London, it's kind of like... Um, I think it's the humour and the characters and uh, Rick Baker's special effects that really elevate it. Mm-hmm. But in terms of filmmaking, there's the bit when they're being chased across the Yorkshire Moors at the beginning... And it's it's basically it's a series of uh, sort of like, I don't know whether it's a dolly shot or because they're on the moors, whether it's handheld or maybe it's cam. But you've got basically a series of shots of your main two characters walking from the left side of the screen to the right side of the screen while the camera follows them. And then when they sort of like run out of room, they cut to another shot of them going from the left side of the screen to the right side of the screen to the left side of the screen, to the right side of the screen. And they just repeat these shots over and over again. And so in terms of kind of like sophisticated filmmaking, and I don't think it really matters in a lot of those cases, but in terms of sophisticated filmmaking, I think that it's kind of lacking. I would also argue that when I was growing up, I had American Werewolf in London and The Thing, (laughs) John Carpenter's The Thing on VHS that I wore wore out, you know. I watched them over and over, over and over again. And the tapes just wore out. But I, I would sort of argue the same thing about John Carpenter. Is that a lot of his shots are very simple, but um, but in rewatching John Carpenter, when you watch them on um, Blu-ray and you watch like really nice transfers of his stuff, I think there is a lot going on in John Carpenter's films. They are quite sim- they're they're fairly simplistic the way that they're put. put mm. But I think that's more like, um, I feel like that's a visual style. Yeah. Uh, whereas with John Landis, I feel like it's sort of like a limitation. So anyway, so here's the thing. Mm, oh, lifelong Eddie Murphy fan, um, especially 80s Eddie Murphy. Um, I say that, I would like to him in the 90s as well. I'm, I'm of the belief that Bowfinger was probably Eddie Murphy and Steve Martin's last great film. Um, and good for them. They, you know, they've made enough films. Um, I love every time... Eddie Murphy makes film, but I've seen enough of his bad ones to sort of, like, know the difference. Uh, really like Dolomite is my name last year. Um, and coming to America, even though it's John Landis, even though it's Eddie Murphy, I've never... Not like never liked it. I think it's just an incredibly likeable film. It's never grabbed me in the same way that Trading Places grabbed me um, or Beverly Hills Cop, or even Beverly Hills Cop 3. Um, I think Naughty Professor is a really great film (laughs) in terms of he's great in it. It's an amazing performance. So uh, so Coming to America, it's kind of like, it's this odd film where um, it starts off with one of the most, one of the all-time greatest (laughs) shots. (laughs) (laughs) It's just like this camera sweeping through these lush green hills of Africa with this uh, African music going on over it. And it's just this really long shot of the camera flying through Africa. And then it lands on um, a shot of uh, the palace. And it's like, oh, my God. And then it goes down to basic setup shots of uh, people talking and then cutting and then people talking. So... And there's, like, a few jokes at the beginning of the original Coming to America, which are funny, when he's having a bath and there's the personal... Um, the royal penis washer and all of this stuff. And you go, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, like, his, his... And then I just find, like, it's just a series of perfunctory scenes with just really, really, really likeable characters, really sort of, like, you know where you are with the setup up and the scenario. It's a prince that has to go to... An African prince has to go to Queen's. And pretend to be. And I just feel like the film, weirdly, just as simple as it is, never really pays off. Uh, so I don't have any nostalgia for this film. Because I never grew up watching it. And I feel like it doesn't pay off on its premise. And I don't find it... I. I it's not that I don't find it funny. It's that I can't see where the jokes are. I, I can't even tell where it's trying to be funny. I'll watch a scene and then it will come to the end of the scene. And then you'll go... Uh, okay and and there'll be opportunities to make laughs because a lot of it is based uh, basically it 's a farce with lots of people pretending to be other people um, and then going through a room pretending to be someone else or uh, not letting someone into their apartment because uh, they can 't see where they live and it 's kind of like it's like classic farcical setups, but they don 't really sort of like pay off on any of that and so yeah. Okay. It's great. So Eddie Murphy made kind of like this uh, all black um, uh, sort of fairy tale romantic comedy, uh, and it was one of like one of the first big, huge budget uh, blockbusters of that of that kind. And so that's obviously a really great thing. But then beyond that, it's kind of like, I don't feel like there are any there were any jokes in that. Even, like, the character that he plays when he's doing, like, the sexual chocolate bit. I can't remember what the singer's called. But even, even with that, it's kind of like, like, Eddie Murphy could sing and the guy is quite a good singer. He's not, like, a great singer, but he's not a terrible singer. And in the context of the film, he's meant to be, like, an awful singer. And everyone going, God, this guy's awful. He's got a style all of his own. And they even say, this guy's got a style all of his own. Um, but, it's not so bad that it's this sort of like, maybe there's a bit of vanity creeping through where Eddie Murphy didn't really want to be seen to be like a bad singer. So he kind of does, he's 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 an okay singer. He's not a great singer. He's not a terrible singer, but he's an okay singer. But the reaction in the scene is kind of, so I've never really understood scenes like that where you go, it's great that he's playing all these other characters. But, and at the time, I think Rick Baker's makeup was so sort of like, uh, so sort of like cutting edge that at the end when it kind of like comes up and it says Eddie Murphy is the old Jewish guy in the barber shop and he's the old barber and Arsenio you know, Hall plays these other characters. At the time like people were kind of like, Oh my God, what? He did that he did what? But I just um, you know, there's like scenes at the end when he's chasing it to the subway and you think there's loads of there's loads of opportunities where you could do things with these scenes, you know. Um, but what you actually have is you have a very long 45-minute, 45-second shot with no music of uh, the woman that he's chasing uh, going through the turnstiles, and then him arriving at the turnstiles, not having any money. Uh, so he jumps over the turnstiles and follows her, and it's just this one locked-off shot that's 45 seconds long with no music. Mm-hmm. And you just think, well, this is the opportunity. This is an opportunity for a, a, a regular romantic comedy to do sort of like an action sequence, you know, uh, where there's some cutaways and you have her running down the stairs. Which they have, but they they just use it after they tell everything chronologically in the order that they filmed it. It seems we've got that shot of them going through the turnstiles, right? They're both through. Now they're going to go to that shot of them both coming down the stairs she gets on the subway, and then in the same shot he comes down, has a bit of difficulty with the door. Whereas what you would do, what you would think you'd do, to add some sort of tension Mm -hmm. is you'd have her coming through the turnstiles, going down the stairs, him getting to the turnstiles, not being able to get through, uh, her getting onto the subway, cut back to him jumping over the turnstiles and running down the stairs and just having a bit of difficulty. And then if you wanted to, you could add a thing with the police that go, hey, he hasn't paid for his subway ticket. The police will come along and they'll chase him. And then the police chase him down and they get onto the subway. And Then he's got to get through the subway to get to the lady. And then the police check. Do you know what I mean? It's just kind of like you build up this thing. And then he has to sort of like say this Earnest speech tour on the subway with all of like the local, um, with all the people on the subway listening in, and then you've got the police, and maybe the police have got their guns out and they're kind of like, uh, hey, you jumped, you jumped the subway barrier, and he has to do this earnest speech under all of this stress, and he tells her how he feels, and maybe she rejects him, maybe she takes it, uh, but then uh, the police go, ah, oh, he's all right, we'll let him off, and then you've got kind of like an element of sort of like, do you know what I mean? And there's none of that, every time there's an opportunity to do something, and in the in the film it's kind of like they don't do it
2: and so, so i thought it could find have been more dynamically edited
1: it could have been more dynamically edited more dynamically directed and i think it's kind of like i think it's one of i think three amigos works every time you see it i think it's funny every single time but with coming to america it's not that i don't like it i really like it i think it's incredible it's impossible not to like coming to america yeah but even the even the scenes where they're swearing in it play as so gentle that it's just kind of like you go, OK, so the, for me, the film sort of washes over me and I'm kind of, yes, fine. So I so coming to America mm-hmm. the next day and um, and I think there is a story and I think it does do something more than just do callbacks. What I thought it was absolutely spectacular in doing was it made me absolutely nostalgic and love a film that i not nostalgic for or love. <laughs> you know, whenever there was a return okay. character, whenever there was a return character or a reference to the original film, I was all on board, 100%. I loved ah, okay. it. I loved it. I thought, I thought coming to America. Now, what I would say is, wasn't a big fan of the Sun character. Mm-hmm and he gets a lot of screen time sure and um and i think that they didn't have to do anything, right? All they needed to do was show up, go through the motions, do the same bits over and over again. And most, you know, and I think most people would have gone, yeah, fine, okay, that's what, that's all you can expect from a movie that's 33, a sequel that's coming 33 years after the original, right? Mm-hmm. You literally just turn up, do, go through the motions, do it. They didn't, they did try and do a story, and they did try and do a sort of modern story about, um, uh, about letting uh, your daughters take over, mm-hmm. and kind of like uh, not being a burden to tradition, and kind of being open-minded about the future. Uh, and I thought that yeah, that's a that is a film that is worth telling. And uh, for this sort of film, it's sort of unnecessary. But they did it, and it didn't feel particularly heavy-handed. Uh, what I would so I think they told the right story, and I think it was a different story that they were telling but just they're not sure if they told it the right way. I think that the daughters could have had a lot more screen time and you you could have given the son a lot less screen time, even though it's kind of like a flip of the original where it's about his father's relationship with his son. It's about his relationship with his son. I think you get that and you could have kind of like branched off. But all of the jokes, or I would say, hmm, 70% of the jokes, they landed... I thought it was really funny all the way through. I loved Eddie Murphy, loved Arsenio Hall, loved Wesley Snipes, loved all of the returning characters. I thought maybe the first 20 minutes up until um, uh, the... uh, Up until the moment where James L. Jones exits the movie, right, I think everything just works amazing. I thought... um, the whole uh, celebration sequence that they have at the beginning. I loved everything about that. There's loads of cameos in it. Every time there's a new cameo, I was like more and more excited about it. I Loved it. Then sort of like the plot kicks in and Eddie Murphy kind of takes a bit of a backseat, which, you know, as you say, is kind of like egoless, But also um, he took a backseat for some characters that I didn't really care about as much. Mm -hmm. So then you have the plot. And then at the end, it sort of like all comes together again at the end. And again, it's like doing... And you know that he's saving, like, a big sort of, like, treat for the end. Because uh, you're going, he's not turned up yet. <laughs> what's that going on? And then and I just thought that it all worked really well. And, I prefer, you know, I, like, I've got no hatred for the original. I just find it a frustrating film. Because with every scene, you're going, why didn't you? Why wouldn't you? You know, um, what, what did I watch? Well, that's what watched... It
2: surprises me. I just would have thought, when I spoke to you the other day and you just watched the first one again... I was thinking, well, you're just not going to like this one because it's all nostalgia for the first film.
1: No, I, I th- that's the thing. I mean, I, the stuff that works... I love all of the Rick Baker characters in the first film, the Eddie Murphy, Rick Baker. I love them all, right? Um, I just, but So I'll give, you, I'll give you two examples. I watched Jack and Jill, uh, yes. which is the uh, Al Pacino's best film, probably. Um, so I watched the Adam Sandler movie, Jack and Jill, which uh, is a film... That has, um, it does, it's got a lot of jokes written into it, yeah? They're not necessarily good jokes, but they are jokes. And you can tell when they're telling jokes. And it's got, like, Adam Sandler dressing up as another character, doing a thing, pretending he's someone he's not, you know. So so when you watch it, think, I think Jack and Jill is pretty much, um, I mean, the jokes are awful, and it's it feels like a very lazy film. I mean, it's, it's famously one of the worst films ever made. I don't think it is. I don't think it's one of the worst films ever made. I think there are all worst films. But I would say that the majority of Jack and Jill is terrible. Uh, one of the things that gets criticised about is the trouncing of Al Pacino's legacy. Um, I think Al Pacino's great in it, and uh, a lot of those jokes wouldn't work if it wasn't Al Pacino playing Al Pacino in that film. I even like the Dunkin' Donuts bit. I think.
2: But that, that bit, is, I mean, I'm sure he talks about this, but it's also like he doesn't... If it was a lazy performance, it wouldn't work. But the fact he put so much into it is sort of what makes it a good Al Pacino performance. He's <laughs> people... really kind of—he really does it properly. He does it for real. What people sell Adam Sandler short on is
1: how surreal some of his jokes are, and uh, like some of his jokes are just absolutely like crazy. If you watch something like uh, *Mr. Deeds*. You know, there's a joke, or it's not even a joke. It's just a bit when all of the servants come out and do kind of like this weird sort of like they go Oh and they all do this call to each other on the balcony of his uh, luxury apartment, and it's just this really weird moment. Or all, they all start singing um, David Bowie on a plane, and, um, and there are all these like really weird sort of like surreal moments in Adam Sandler films that. And why I like him. He's not just doing kind of like crap jokes. There are kind of like some surreal, weird jokes in there that I think actually take effort and some level of intelligence to think about. Um, when you see Jack and Jill, like the whole concept is like this surreal, weird concept where they've kind of like gone, Adam Sandler's going to do a movie. It's called Jack and Jill. And it's where he plays his own sister. You go, great. We know what that is. So then they've got like, um, They've got, like, a contract with Pepto-Bismol. They've got a contract with a contract with uh, Dunkin' Donuts. They've got a contract with a cruise liner. And then they've said to Al Pacino, uh, do you want to do this film? And Al Pacino's probably gone something like, well, Jack Nicholson did a film with you a couple of years ago. He says that he really enjoyed it. Very much like Henry Winkler's approach to doing pantomime in England. He goes oh. back, tells David Hasselhoff, Pam Randerson, next, next year they're doing it. Right, so people will always have a good time on an Adam Sandler film because the catering's brilliant, and they all get paid loads for not doing much. And um, you know the film was seventy nine million dollars. Um, oh. That's how, you know, <laughs> and um, and that must have all been spent on their wages. Do you know what I mean? And like it's Al Pacino, it's kind of like we'll give Al Pacino ten million dollars to be Al Pacino. He gets to watch uh, a bass... Most of it's on green screen as well. And then he does, like, this Dunkin' Donuts put at the end, and you kind go. So all the stuff that, that sort of works in Jack and Jill, people will say Jack and Jill's a terrible film. It's an awful film. I don't want people to... I don't want you to think Jack <laughs> Nick Jill <laughs> likes... Do you uh, love Jack and Jill? D- d- you know, it's not a guilty pleasure. I just think that people say it's the worst film I've made, and there are... I think Adam Sandler's made worse films since. <laughs> um so, but, so, I think there are moments in that that, that w- work. I don't think it's a better film than the original Coming to America.
0: Right.
1: But I laughed at it more. Right. <laughs> so, there, it's kind of like this weird thing. And then, on top of that, I watched The Cable Guy yesterday. Right. Oh, yeah. So, The Cable Guy is one of those films where Jim Carrey got paid 20 minutes. It was originally meant to be a Chris Farley movie. Uh, then I think Chris Farley went and did Black Sheep instead. Um. And then uh, Ben Stiller was directing. And if you look at it, it's got so many like Ben Stiller regulars in it. Um, and so Ben Stiller was directing and then he got Jim Carrey and Jim Carrey came along. Uh, he got paid 20 million. And if you look at Jim Carrey in The Cable Guy, I think it's sort of like a I, I probably enjoyed it the most yesterday when I saw it. Um, but I don't love it. I saw it at the cinema. I, I know. And I've kind of gone off Jim Carrey over the years. Uh, but then when you watch this film, he got paid 20 million and you see him in every scene and he's adding value to absolutely every single moment of the... There's never a scene where he just walks into shot, does his lines and walks out. There's always something that he's doing that is either character driven or, you know, there's a little bit of uh, slapstick or something. And he's adding everything to that. and you just look at that and you go, yeah, sure. He was the top. He was the biggest comedian, one of the biggest stars on the planet at the time, he got paid a lot of money, and you can kind of see that he hasn't just kind of taken the paycheck with that, he's actually put in a performance. I think it's a really weird film, because it could kind of be a very broad Adam Sandler-esque comedy, but it's directed by Ben Stiller, who at the time was like an indie filmmaker, Mm -hmm. so a lot of the pacing to kind of like what would be a slapstick sequence, like the basketball sequence, is filmed kind of like this really dark kind of indie movie with Jim Carrey doing Ace Ventura bits in it. And it's sort of like, so the tone is little, I really quite like the tone, but it's this weird mishmash of like indie filmmaking, really well put together shots that you won't normally get in a comedy of that era. And um, of like a, the broad sensibility of Jim Carrey. And when it all mixes together, it doesn't. it doesn't quite work. But having said that, you watch Jim Carrey in that film and he's like bringing moments to every single thing. So when you watch the original Coming to America and you just see scenes that haven't been milked 100%, like run dry for moments of humour, Yeah. it's kind of like a bit when Arsenio Hall comes out of the door and James L. Jones is there and he doesn't want James L. Jones to go in the flat. And he just goes, "Uh, can I go in the flat? And he goes, oh, no, you can't. And then you go... And it's the third time in a row James L. Jones has gone to the wrong bit. And they haven't, and it's so slow, the way it's put, and you kind of like going, I don't, I don't, I can see that, I can see where there could have been a joke. I just can't see why, as it is, it's funny. Anyway, loved Coming to America, the second one. <laughs> so I don't know, but I do think you've got to see the first one. You're
2: right, though. I think there's an element to it where you're talking about the editing. And you were saying the other day about how, you know, you've got Eddie Murphy playing multiple characters in it. And yet you've got people, the editing, cutting from one person to another as as their dialogue ends. And even to sell the makeup, it would have made more sense to cut, not on the end of the dialogue, cut halfway through someone speaking or something. It would have sold the makeup better. And the idea that, I mean, I don't know how much of a surprise it would be to anyone, but the idea that I'm sure you could watch that and not know how many parts were played by Arsenio Hall and... Eddie Murphy, and it probably would have sold that much better if the editing was much slicker, that you wouldn't have noticed the join at all.
1: It's not just that, it's, it's pacing. It's kind of like if a, if a shot flows into another shot and you use... You've got two shots of people talking to each other, and if you use uh, a reaction shot and then you use the sound of the other person talking and then during that sentence you cut to the other person, it flows... And it kind of like gives kind of like a flow to the cuts and the editing. When you don't do that, it feels like it's an assembly cut where you're pasting bits next to each other. There's one really great shot in Coming to America where you've got, um, you're in the barbershop and you've got Arsenio Hall, uh, Eddie Murphy, and then the old Jewish, uh, old Eddie Murphy barbershop guy and then the old Jewish guy, also played by Eddie Murphy. And the camera does this thing where it... um, it sort of like pans round, and the old Jewish guy uh, goes behind um, old barbershop guy, and uh, and then Eddie Murphy walks in through the door as uh, as the king, right? And it's it's like it's not like the most complicated shot ever, but it is a shot that you would use in a regular scene where out of the five characters, three of them weren't being played by Eddie Murphy, right? So if you just had any normal scene, it's the sort of shot that you could use without it being a special effect shot. Mm-hmm. And it's shots like that that aren't kind of like, hey, look at me, I'm doing this really clever shot. It's just like a normal regular shot that you would normally use that sell it as a special effect, because it makes you forget that, oh, oh, look, there's three guys that are all the same people. And so it's kind of like, the, I, well, you know, there's the fucking there's the stick fighting scene in the first coming to America, which you've played basically straight with about four camera angles. And then you've got the stick fighting scene in the second one, which has got energy to it. There's no real jokes, but it's kind of like you're not feeling the jokes because you're feeling kind of like there's a sense of action and tension and energy. And it's kind of like, oh right. So I just think as I think as a film, the way it's directed, it's directed, it's directed better. Um, and I think it felt, it's, um, what's the name, do you remember the name of the director? He did uh, Dolomite Is My Name.
2: Oh, I don't remember. I didn't know it was the same director, actually. Oh, it's
1: the same director, because they got, I think they did a screening of Dolomite Is My Name, and then on the way back in the car park, Eddie Murphy, as they're getting into their cars, just said, do you want to do, come into America? (laughs) Um, Because he was so so happy with Dolomite.
2: Well, I said that, that, it's almost the fact that, you know, uh Wesley Snipes shows up again almost feels like a callback to Dollar is my name because it's they feel like such a team already. Well Eddie
1: Murphy was meant to play the Wesley Snipes character. And then and you can kind of like go, yeah, that would have worked. But yeah. then they then they went, Oh do you know what who would be really good Wesley Snipes. So you got Wesley Snipes having kind of like And Wesley Snipes started off doing comedy mm. and uh and it's kind of like you know, he's he's gr- I mean he's great. Um, anyway, we've got to play a song. We can talk about this after. I'm not saying we can't talk about this after, Nathaniel, but we do have to play. It. We do have to play a song. I'm sorry.
2: Okay, just this once.
0: Nick Helm and Nathaniel Metcalf's fan club on Fubar Radio. Welcome,
1: we're back. We're back. We're back. We're back. And of course, answers on the postcard. It was Craig Brewer directed. Dolomite is my name. And coming to mm. America. That's really annoying. Alice Cooper had that album, Welcome to My Nightmare, which was the sequel to Welcome to My Nightmare. And it's kind of like, um, it's just impossible to actually have an out loud conversation about it. You have to... Yeah.
2: to really emphasise it.
1: You have to develop a new way of talking, mm. don't you? Um, yeah, what, <laughs> what is it? It's like, look who's talking to. And it's kind of like, it's like, look who's... A Nightmare on Elm Street... Also.
2: <laughs> well, die hard,
1: die like... hard again.
2: With with uh Teen Wolf 2, that sort of makes sense, though, doesn't it? That's also... Uh, Jason Bateman is also t- Teen Wolf.
1: I think it probably makes more sense
2: with Look Who's Talking. Makes the same amount of sense, surely.
1: No, I think you can use Look Who's Talking in a sentence. You could go, oh, look who's talking. And then someone else could go, oh pointing at another baby. Sure. Look, look who's talking to. And you go, <sighs> oh, there you go. But with Teen Wolf, you wouldn't point at Teen Wolf and go, Teen Wolf? And then you you would go, and there's another Teen Wolf. You wouldn't go, Teen Wolf 2. As in, also, there's a sequel to Splash as well called Splash 2. As in, but she wasn't called Splash, she was called Madison. So it should have been called... Didn't Splash 2? I don't know. I don't know if a, I knew about that. I think Splash was Touchstone, so that was Disney, and then Splash 2 was Disney. So Touchstone was Disney's um, adult arm, where they did sort of like slightly more grown-up films. Um, and then uh, and Disney would kind of like do the animated stuff and some, some live-action films. But obviously, I mean, Disney made a film about a mermaid, but it wasn't a kid's film. Oh, yeah. It's got, it's got John Candy to, doing jokes about how large his penis is and stuff. <laughs> and so when they made the sequel, uh, they, uh, yeah, they made it for kids, 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 kids. But I haven't seen it. Um, yeah, so Craig Brewer did come to Yeah, I just thought it was. I mean, it does exactly what you said. But there you go.
2: Yeah, I, I assumed you were going to really dislike it, given that you weren't as fond of the original.
1: Well, I don't, I don't, I don't dislike Coming to America, but no. if I was going to sit down and you were like saying, if Coming to America was on TV, hmm. you would, uh, no matter where it was, you'd sit down and you'd watch it.
2: Yeah, I think it's one of those films. Where if I caught a bit of it, I'd probably end up watching the rest of the
1: film. And I think that's the sort of I think that I've done that multiple times with Nutty Professor,
2: mm-hmm.
1: where whenever a Nutty Professor is on, I'll sort of Sit down, but not Nutty Professor 2. I don't even think I've seen Naughty Professor 2 from beginning to end.
2: Not sure I have. I thought Nutty Professor was fine. I remember it was his sort of at the time, people talking it like it was a big oh. comeback, and I thought it was all right. I was a bit like, it's all right.
1: I thought it was a huge comeback, so it's brilliant. But um, I think w- what's great about it is um, Eddie Murphy as the Nutty Professor. When he turns into Buddy Love, you go, great. It's Eddie Murphy, you know. This is Eddie Murphy doing the Eddie Murphy show. Great. But when he's um, uh, Herman Klump, (laughs) uh, he's just one of the most lovable characters ever put on film. And then when you put him side by side to buddy love, you just like go, oh, my God. These are different. This is the same guy. Same guy. Same guy. Rick Baker again doing the special effects. Mm-hmm. Uh, good old Rick Baker. i just got to say, if you don't follow Rick Baker on Instagram, you bloody should. Do
2: you know what? I don't know if I do.
1: He retired in 2015. Mm-hmm. And now he sort of uh, just does, like, projects at home and does his daughter's Halloween makeup. And it's just kind of... He's, uh, just he, Some of the pictures he puts up are fantastic, but he's just, redone, he's just redecorated his... Um, which I call it his yes. his workshop. So he's painted it all and made it look like a gothic kind of mad scientist lab. But he showed you how, how he painted the doors and stuff like that. It's great. Um, but yeah, I love Rick Baker. Um,
2: can we get Rick Baker on?
1: Can we get Rick Baker on? I mean, he sounds like he's just doing a lot of decorating at the moment. Yeah. Sure. She says sure. Great. We'll do that. We'll get we'll get Rick Baker on next month. Uh, and by next month, I mean week. Um, what else have you been uh, a fan of this week, Nathaniel?
2: I watched uh, the yeah, I watched the incident, which is a really good sort of little small movie from '67. I've never heard of it. My friend recommended it to me, and it's really like um, it's uh, uh, Martin Sheen, very young Martin Sheen, and what's the name of the guy who's in Bird with the Crystal Plumage? The main actor. It's them two playing some hoodlums, some roughs. And they get into, it feels a bit like a stage play. Um, and that's the, that's the only downside to it. And they basically get lots of different people from New York, New York society or New York, different people from different walks of life are all on a subway train and uh, uh, Martin Sheen and the fella from Bird of the Crystal Plumage come along and they terrorise one by one each person on this tube train or subway train, as they're called, in New York City. And it's really like, um, it feels quite stagey in a way because it, or it kind of feels a bit like when they're terrorising one of the one of the couples or one of the groups on the train, it's almost like the other people don't exist, whereas it feels like Tony Masante, Thank you, Natalie. Um, but it's a really good kind of film of that era that feels very... When was um, it made? 67. So it's so, before Badlands, even and things. So it's... when was when was Badlands? Is it sixty nine? Is it or? So Martin Sheen's
1: had like a kind of quite an interesting career, isn't he? Because mm. so Apocalypse Now was seventy four.
2: Yeah, I think so. Was it
1: seventy? Probably. Or was it was it later than that?
2: Oh, seventy nine. I think Apocalypse Now.
1: So I'm thinking of the Conversation. So he made Godfather one in seventy one, seventy two. Then like he made that. then he made the Conversation. Then he made Godfather 2. And then him and George Lucas swapped their war pictures, didn't they? Mm -hmm. George Lucas was going to direct Apocalypse Now. And uh, uh, he gave it to Francis Ford Coppola so that he could direct Star Wars instead. Star Wars was 77. Apocalypse Now, 79. So there we go. Um, Just off the top of my head, all that great stuff. Um, But uh, Martin Sheen had made uh, The Little Girl That Lives Down the Lane. Oh, yeah, yeah, I like that film. Have you ever seen that?
2: Yeah, yeah, again, that feels like a play, doesn't it? I'm sure it was.
1: So, oh, yeah, I mean, he made, like, these kind of weird... Not weird, but they're weird when you get to the context that him and his sons have... became kind of like this huge Hollywood dynasty. Um, he started off making kind of like these very sort of like... Well, what are they? Exploita- exploitation movies?
2: Oh. yeah.
1: They're sort of like, if they were Italian, they'd be giallos, but they weren't, they were American. Um, oh, yeah, and he was, but also when you get to the 80s, he was like in the dead zone. And uh, he, what was that other Stephen King adaptation he did? Was he in um, Fire Starter?
2: Was he in that? I don't think he is in that, is he?
1: He's in a brand. Oh, in brand of, in he it, is. It. Yeah, he sort of like turns up and he does sort of. Like, he'd already done Apocalypse Now by that point, so he was Martin Sheen, and then he was kind of like he did a lot of kind of like supporties more. Well, speaking of which, he was in. Uh, he played like a support character in the movie Spawn, didn't he? He did, uh, yeah. and, um, uh, and he was in uh, the American President as the president's aide, and it's. And that was Aaron Sorkin as well, I think.
2: was, oh, yeah, Aaron Sorkin.
1: And then Aaron Sorkin went on to do The West Wing, where he went, who'd be the perfect president? Is it Michael Douglas? No. It would be Martin Sheen.
2: Martin Sheen. And similarly, um, doesn't Michael J. Fox play a quite similar character? In Spin, in Spin City. Yeah.
1: Yeah, it's kind of like, oh, yeah, Martin, yeah. I mean, it was weird at the time, because you go, oh, yeah, it's basically they're two... TV, TV series, climate. TV spin offs from the American <laughs> president. Um, but yeah, so like Martin Sheen, it's kind of like. And then he was playing um, Charlie Sheen's dad in Wall Street. So it's kind of like, who is Martin Sheen? What was the thing that made Martin Sheen a star? Mm-hmm. Because
2: he's always been like a star in my it's mind. It's Badlands, right? Yeah. So, But then I guess, yeah, you're right, because actually throughout the 70s, you then don't feel like, what are these 70s movies that you kind of, It's all, yeah, you go from that and you go, well, he's a big star. He's in Badlands, which is late 60s, and about 10 years later, he's in uh, Apocalypse Now. <laughs> so yeah, it's not really, is it? A Wall Street? But again, yeah, he's but almost like... like he's supporting Charlie Sheen by then, isn't he? But he got—I think he
1: got an Oscar for Wall Street, didn't he? Or he got nominated. I oh, may be. But, but it's kind of like yeah, you know, yeah, Wall Street. He's supporting Charlie Sheen by that point. Oh. And then, um, you know, I remember when he did Spawn. It was just like, oh wow, you got like Martin yeah, got, and like, Sheen in this. Wow, yeah, that's that's good. Um, but yeah, I, I don't really know. Don't really know why we keep going on about him. To be honest.
2: <laughs> uh, <laughs> See, in, also in the incident though is um, Bo Bridges. And he's someone you go, oh, yeah. In my mind, Beau Bridges didn't really exist till the 80s, even though Jeff Bridges did. Well, I saw an interview with
1: Jeff Bridges talking about his brother. And you go, yeah, well, me and my brother are kind of very competitive like that. Because he was talking about working with the Cohen brothers. And he was like saying, I don't know if me and my brother. And I was thinking, oh, Jeff Bridges has got a brother. And I'm like, yeah, of course, <laughs> Beau Bridges. Yeah. I've seen him in many, many things. Yeah. And them together in... Fabulous Baker Boys.
2: It's funny that they're very competitive because I would have thought Jeff won that. To be fair,
1: I don't know if he said that they were competitive. They're <laughs> you know,
2: quite competitive, us so too. I, I, I don't think you should.
1: I don't think you should take anything away from Bo. No, um, no. Um,
2: so yeah, it's. Uh, uh, what, so what was that film called? The Incident. The Incident. I recommend it. Yeah, it's 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 well worth watching. Um, and what else have I watched? I've watched. WandaVision, but isn't worth talking about unless you've seen it. Should I watch it? It's all right, I thought. I didn't really like it as much as... it's. I, I like it in the same way I like all the Marvel ones, but I didn't get loads out of it. I know some people seem to have loved it. I thought I'm it was st- all right. I'm still
1: gearing up for season two of The Mandalorian.
2: Sure. Um... Okay, right,
1: yeah. Okay, <laughs> i I'll, I'll try, I don't know. Um... What I'm just scrolling through because I've done my Twitter updates. What have I seen this week? The Insider. Oh
2: uh, yeah, well, that was last
1: week. I, I think I saw that last week. Uh, I, yeah, that's right. Because I saw the Tyson Bruno documentary, uh, Solo, Jack and Jill. Uh, I saw the David Lynch art is the Art Life documentary. Oh, yeah, I, saw I, was that. It, I saw it two months ago. I didn't realise it was a film. And so I've included it on my list <laughs> retrospectively. But I couldn't remember anything about it. Just, witches, that's what I saw, The Witches. Oh yeah. Fucking how. Like fucking how. The opening the opening fifteen, twenty minutes is great. And you think, oh, we're all set up for kind of like um you know, an updated version of the witches. I think the book is great, the Roald dial book, The Witches, is really creepy. I think they had it as an audio tape that my dad would play for us in the backseat while we were on long car journeys and stuff. A terrifying book. Uh, the film was always kind of, always felt like a little bit like a TV movie to me because I think Rowan Atkinson was in it. Uh, he's definitely in it. It's Nick think...
2: Rogue directing it. He did um, Walkabout and and yeah, yeah, yeah. and all yeah.
1: that. Yeah, it always just felt like a TV movie. It does, it it? really does. It had Jim Henson puppets and stuff in and, and uh, I think... Th- Maybe it was Ron Atkinson, but it just felt like a TV movie to me. Mm. But um, having said that, uh, I've got a lot of not like a lot, I'm not like that sacrilegious. You can't remake it, but this. So I wouldn't consider this a remake. I'd consider this a readaptation, uh, and they set it in uh, Alabama, uh, and it's like a largely black cast. Uh, and that 's all great. that all works. the updating, the changing of the setting, the Americanization of it because it was um, set in Britain the first one, and then, as soon as they go to the hotel it 's kind of like it becomes this film that is about three talking mice in a in a conference room, and CGI. it just. Goes, Goes on for fucking ages. The CGI is terrible in a way that makes me think that it could have it could only have been intended to be a three D movie, and because of the three D element of it, you're not really paying attention to the CGI. But um, you know, when you've got the goggles on, it, you know you don't really notice that much. Oh, it's, oh, I just thought it was it was weird. It was just weirdly not very. It's Robert Zemeckis. And you mm. just kinda of like go, What is the you've like the opening great. It's about a bereaved kid learning to be friends with his grandma. Make that the film. Forget about the witches. <laughs> and then there's like this this like this prestigious special effect shot where a cat is in one room, comes out of the balcony of the hotel, walks down the drain pipe and he goes into another room and it's all done in one shot. And it's just like this cartoon cat, and you're like, "What am I? Am I meant to be blown away by this shot? Because it's so badly done." Oh, I just yeah, it was like watching an Alvin and the Chipmunks movie. <laughs> it's got, do you know what I mean? It's got you got yes. three talking mice; they're all chatting to each other, and you're like, going, "I don't give a fuck about any of this. Do not give a fuck about this." Um, so yeah, fucking mental. I'm glad because it's on freeview now. On uh, Sky, and I'm, so I'm glad I didn't spend 17 99 on it, but fuck me. All right, we're gonna do some fan mail now. Are you there? Are you there, Brian? Hey,
0: boys and girls, how's it going? <laughs> oh, oh, Brian Johnson's here. I'm, my voice has got progressively worse week in, week out, but today we're. What surprise? I've, they're going always a surprise to see me, but I'm everybody. Okay, podcast 65 in Malta, we're number 235 in Estonia. Hello, Nick, not Brian, and Christopher. I hope you're all doing all right on the lockdown. My greetings for you, Brian. Oh, I was wondering whether you've met uh, whether you've met Jenny. Next holiday, Geordie Rodrigo introduced us to one fan club many episodes ago. I'd, really lo- I'd, love to hear- I'd love to hear the two of you uh, have a bit of a chinwag and talk about anything, really. That was a long time ago. I think you'll find that uh, I'm Geordie and Jerry was,
2: uh, was Scouse.
0: Yeah, that's right. I've got my sunnies on. I had my sunnies on, I had my shorts on.
2: <laughs> deep cut in it. It's a deep fan club cut, this.
0: Uh, it's, it's going back away. I'm seeing Jerry, don't you find... I. that's, that's right. <laughs> it's difficult. Know, we had John Colshaw on the other week. It really really, just, really does highlight how what a what a skill it is. <laughs> that's, uh, anyway, it's already a jolly old He introduced us on fanboy Maybe, I'd love to hear that. I to you have a bit of a jetpack. I don't wear anything, really. It'd be a sort of tiny wave of Suri and Sweep, although Suri Sweep don't talk in a couple of cuts. Oh, oh yeah.
2: come on. Ruined it. Anyway,
0: keep it light, John Tampa Floyd. Tampa Florida. Tom, oh, sorry, I oh, stepped on your pointy shoes there, didn't I, Christopher? <laughs> Hello, yeah. boys. I was sad to hear you not getting any emails. Oh, fucking hell, this is... <laughs> Poison chalice. I'm gone, Welsh. <laughs> ah, hello, boys. Hello, boys. Get your titties out. That's how he, that's what he
1: says. That's what he says on stage. He's great. Right, okay. Maybe maybe not in the next tour. Yeah. Um, <laughs> hello,
0: boys and girls. I was sad to hear you're not getting any emails. Here we go. Ah, great. I found it. About it. I thought I'd better drop your line. Hope you're doing better these days. I know being in lockdown isn't easy, but you both seem to be in a slow downward spiral. Please try to stay positive, because I enjoy listening to your show. would hate it if you gave up. I live in Taiwan, which has been saved from the worst of the pandemic, so we can go to the cinema and everything here. Good for you. <laughs> the last film I was a fan of was, was Big Little Women. Taiwanese melodrama about the three generations of women centered around the funeral of the estranged dad it's a deliberate tearjerker and even though I promised myself I wasn't going to cry I ended up blubbing four times it's on Netflix over here now do you like tearjerkers when was the last time you cried watching a film
1: lots of love Tony totally. I mean it's a roller coaster that one was it, it was don't, don't give up
2: I know when was the last
1: time you cried watching a film I cry at films all the time I can't yeah. remember when the last one was I can't remember but what
2: the last one was
1: It would probably be within the last week um, And Big Little Women uh, I, I've either seen that But it's lost to the sands of time Or It's on my list of stuff to watch <laughs> Which isn't the same as seeing it Is it uh, <laughs> uh, Okay we'll do, uh, we'll do one more Natalie And then we'll, we'll Have to uh, Save the
2: rest for next week I think
0: Dear Nick and Nat, I really love the episode with Henry Fraser. It was so good. It definitely put things in perspective for me. Your show is a great combination of funny moments and deep, meaningful stuff. It's a funny way for to me. be honest. Thanks, Dominic. No, I think that uh, I'm <laughs> an avid listener, and I think that you do tip that balance, boys. Uh, oh, that's nice. Thank a lot of know, thanks, the,
2: Brian. Well, not you so
0: much, Nat, but a lot of the things that you say, Nick, really hits me deep, deep to my core cuts me to the quick, and I'd uh, like you to know Nick said. You've gone Welsh again.
2: You sound like Tom Jones, Brian. Never, you don't never. Really
0: never, never
2: give up. <laughs> what is that? Uh,
1: <laughs> so there we
2: go. All around <laughs> the houses there. Yeah.
1: Thanks, Brian. That was very he's travelled well, hasn't
2: he? He does travel around the British Isles. I guess he's um, on the floor a lot, so he probably picks up a lot of that stuff. What
1: are you saying? My accent's a little muddled?
2: No, I'm just saying he must be on, must go, go on story locks. He does. So and tell me that my accent's a little muddled. It's a little bit muddled. It's a little bit. Tell muddled. me. Your tell accent. me. Your accent's a little bit muddled.
1: Well, so's your turn, <laughs> Mrs. Doubtfire. So, okay, <laughs> we're gonna play a song now and get our fucking guests on. Absolutely amazing, right? <laughs>
0: Nick Helm and Nathaniel Metcalf's Fan Club on Foo Bar Radio. And
1: uh, we're back. We're back live. We're not live. Uh, we're pre-recorded. Uh, and we're back in the studio. I'm not... I'm in, I'm in my spare room and Nathaniel is in his washroom. Uh, and uh, we, uh, we're joined now um, by uh, some absolute fucking legends. Uh, so we're joined now by Michael Jai White and Gillian White. Uh, hello, welcome to Fan Club.
3: Hey, thanks for going? having us. Uh, h-
1: how are you? Are you well?
3: Oh, we're wonderful.
1: Oh yeah, yeah, it's good. Yeah. Well. Whereabouts uh, on the planet are you?
3: We're in Los Angeles.
4: Yep, in the in the suburbs, uh, in the, in the Valley.
1: In
3: the Valley. Yeah,
4: Sherman <laughs> Oaks.
1: <laughs> and then this is your where you live. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And uh, how bad is uh, lockdown at the moment? Are you all at home? At, all the time, or is it loosened it's, up a bit? You kind know, of eased up a little bit. Yeah, a little yeah, bit. Yeah, so
4: happens. you can go. uh Well, there were no, there was no restaurant eating, but now there is outside in the patio type of things, mm-hmm. and so uh, we're enjoying
3: that. Yeah, yeah. still got to wear our masks, but you know we understand. We're okay with that.
1: <laughs> sure. Yeah. Are you are you uh, you big goer 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 outers? Do you like going out <laughs> and going to restaurants and stuff?
3: It's funny. We're we're kind of homebodies we don't mind going out from time to time, but, you know, we don't mind being home. <laughs>
1: yeah, but I, I guess it's a
4: combination of both because we, yeah. we do get a lot of deliveries to the house. This it, it, it feels like the post office sometimes.
1: Sure. <laughs> yeah. But then that, that, I, I, but I think that's sort of like retail therapy, isn't it, where it's kind of – yeah. I've, yeah. I've, I've become addicted to buying picture frames. <laughs> I, I just buy picture frames to the point where I actually ended up learning – how to make picture frames because i was spending so much money on picture frames i thought i might as well just get a skill out of it and learn how to make them so i don't yeah. know why i'm telling you this we're just imagining
4: these picture frames uh, oh
1: yeah oh, okay. i should have brought some on to show you um <laughs> so, uh, you've got a film uh, that's coming out uh, on DVD and digital uh, on the twenty of March at the end of the month called uh, Take Back, uh, and it stars you, Gillian, and uh, and you, Michael. Uh, so, um, so tell us a little bit about that film.
4: First, let me let me tell you this because I'm I'm, <laughs> gonna, I'm, I'm, I'm gonna keep getting you're gonna she's, you're gonna keep getting me kicked in the knee, right? Because <laughs> I, let me her name. It's pronounced Gillian.
3: It's a hard G. Oh, oh
1: Gillian. Gillian. Yeah. Oh, right. all cool. right.
3: Because Gillian and Gillian are spelled the same. One is English. One is Irish. I'm the Irish version, the hard G. Uh, Do you
1: know what? Do you know what? We, we, spent, we spent so long making sure that we got Jai right that, uh, <laughs> yeah, that we went up and fucked Gillian. Gillian. <laughs> Gillian, <laughs> Gillian. 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 Uh, oh, yeah, well, yeah. All right.
3: Cool. Great. Well, but, <laughs> Back to your
1: question. <laughs> so, um, so when did you make this film? Have you been, I mean, not going back to lockdown, but this film's coming out now. Uh, mm-hmm. Had you finished this film before, uh, before the pandemic started? Or was no. this something? During.
3: Yeah, we I, shot during.
4: Yeah, absolutely. It was uh, the first film we did. Uh, first film, we know, in this area, maybe around California, mm-hmm. that, that shot during the, uh, the uh, pandemic. And man it was, it was a little rough. We had to take yeah. tests every day, and there was a lot of stringent rules.
3: yeah, we had to cut characters out the script because it wasn't you know only a certain amount of people were allowed on set at a time, so it was a lot of changes that we weren't used to, but we we did it. We got a great film out of it. well so, I noticed
2: there's, there's a shot in um in the coffee shop where I noticed that people wearing masks, and I went, "Oh wow, yeah. it must be really right <laughs> it must have been filmed really recently. yeah 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 yeah. some
3: pickup shots
2: yeah 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 yeah, we had pickup
4: shots and yeah well yeah it was it was it was really interesting we we, uh how many i forgot what how many days it was it was pretty pretty fast uh fast um film when we shot it Mm -hmm. and um really hot
3: very hot we shot in palm springs in the desert one day it was like 119 degrees
4: several days it was oh yeah yeah
3: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. it was crazy
4: (laughs) Yeah, and it's it's too bad you can't tell on, you know, when you look at it. Yeah. It's just like, you know, there was like a little disclaimer saying, (laughs) it was not as well this day.
1: (laughs) I was like,
3: I've never drank so much Gatorade and water in my life between takes, trying to stay hydrated.
1: Um, sure, because you're married, that must have helped uh, with the bubble as well, right?
3: Oh, absolutely. We were able to do all of our scenes together because, you know, we we had been quarantined together.
2: Mm Mm-hmm. And so you must. So this isn't your first film you've made together, though, right? You've been in other. This is your third. No. Our fifth. Fifth. The f- like I think there's a couple of things that we.
3: Yeah.
0: Yeah, in
4: one of the movies, we're not. We don't have any scenes together, but we're in the same movie. Yeah. Right. But this is technically our fifth film together.
3: Mm-hmm.
4: Yes. Uh, the one before this one, she was a terrorist. Uh, <laughs> like fighting me in a, in you know welcome
3: <laughs> to sudden death on yeah. netflix
4: yeah but um yeah we we played husband and wife in another one uh-huh. um i was the husband and she played the wife yeah, yeah. right and, okay so, so and um and
3: we're back down um i played a publicist yes
4: yeah, love interest so yeah, you know, love we, interest. We, yeah we're kind of working on uh on a record here
2: i know yeah. this is um, this is like fred astaire and ginger Watchers or something it's that sort of uh You've got that kind wow. of, you're in every oh, film I together. Do. I like that.
3: We'll have to incorporate a dance routine in our yeah. next one. <laughs>
2: <laughs> but is that, I mean, I guess you obviously enjoy it or it's nice to work together. But oh, every,
3: oh, yeah, we love working together. I mean, you know,
2: we're just
4: lucky. I mean, I mean, just, we're best friends and we, we, you know, we're like a cult team, you
2: know. So, <laughs> so I don't know, yeah, we kind of lucked out on this
3: one. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah.
2: So did you know each other for a long time before you were married? So you've been friends for years and years, is that right?
3: yeah
2: 25 yeah 25 years ago we met
4: wow yeah yeah at at a a club at a club in in an alley no 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 no, no. we we met at a club it's like you know it's just one of those things like you know it's like i you know her friend was speaking to me and i kind of you know looked around her friend and was like hey who's your friend so (laughs) so you know i married the girl from the
2: from the club
3: from the club, yeah. And it I know does
2: you. Times. <laughs> I was going to say, I know you, Michael, as a, a martial arts. You're a martial arts expert. I know you know you're from lots of martial arts movies. And mm-hmm. Gillian, I wasn't sure that you were a, such a, a huge martial arts star. But within within um, five minutes of your screen time, you are <laughs> you're kicking kicking an assailant down with a gun, taking the gun off them. Yeah. Uh, what's your What's your experience of martial arts, Gillian?
3: Well, my husband uh started training me. So we about uh 8 yeah, 8, eight years a l- now. A lot
4: of years ago. Like it's it's funny because she was like one my grand experiment. We did <laughs> we we're we're a little sickening because we do everything together, everything. And so she's always we we worked out together. She's my workout partner. And then when we do martial arts, I mean, you know, I'd be doing and she I you know, I'd be teaching her, but I taught her on on an advanced level without her knowing. And so I literally she, had no idea. She had no idea. Like I'm I'm t- teaching her techniques because she has no frame of reference. She didn't know what was advanced and what was not. And even though like I'd have her doing something that, I th- you know, wondered if she could do and she would do it because there was, <laughs> there was no margin for her. Mm. And, you know, secretly I'm like, Oh my God, I can't believe she did that. But, you know, and I would <laughs> tell my martial <laughs> artists, do you know, I've had her doing a, a hook kick, ax kick, combination with the same leg they're like no i'm like i'm serious like but so so she's you know she developed and trained with me like she passed black belt level like three years ago really
2: well i've got a similar story actually because when i was about nine or ten i used to do judo and i Uh did it for the longest time but i never went into any competitions Uh and then i'd done it for about three or four years and so i'd gone from being a white belt i did one competition Went up to Yellow Belt to Dan, for my first competition. So it's right. a similar story. So I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm similarly a, a martial arts expert. Um, okay. I, won't, I won't try and prove it, but uh, <laughs> I, I've got I've got some I've got some of the skills somewhere. <laughs> Good.
3: Yeah. Well, it was great because everything you talked about, eventually, I was able to incorporate it into you know acting.
4: Yeah, her her only frame of reference was me. Yeah, and so I would teach her things to where, where she could kind of like counsel me, like, you know what I mean? You know, like just little, you know, like intricate technique stuff to like, so she could be like, Oh Mike, your, 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 your base foot turned the wrong way, like that kind of
2: stuff. So, so you know, as was, a partner now, yeah. you're, you're, you're almost of a similar skill level or you can, you can match each other.
3: It's actually really funny. Cause I have so many people tell me they're like, when they see me doing stuff on screen, they're like, man, you had the same look as your husband or you did it just <laughs> like your husband. So I'm like, well, oh, hey, there you have it. <laughs> yeah, and,
4: and and so year for years, like, she's been helping me with seminars. Like we were in, we did a whole tour in Australia and she was my partner in that because trying to teach e- even advanced black belts, certain techniques is very difficult for them. But she, she'd she been training for, with me for so long that she was my my aide and she's helping teaching teach like black belts who've been doing it for 20 years and so and it's funny because she doesn't even realize it so much but then they're like my god like how does she get like that you know so it's kind of like you know a little secret weapon over here
1: so so when you have like an on-screen fight with each other are you choreographing it yourself based on what you're capable of doing
3: yeah. yeah. And yeah. then we usually we will train at home prior to filming. And then when we get on set, we got it down. So we're just ready to go.
1: And do you kind of like, you know, like when, you know, kids do a play in front of their parents in the kitchen, you know, you get the, you say, look, look what we've been working on. And everyone yeah. comes around and they watch you do your fight.
4: Well, it's so normal for the kids because yeah. I mean, we work out and they're working out too. I mean, we've got, you know, our, our daughter is like an apprentice black belt herself. So that's just normal. Sure, (laughs) yeah.
1: Yeah. So, Michael, you know uh, eight martial arts, right? Yes, yeah. So when you're teaching martial arts, if you're switching between taekwondo and Brazilian Mm -hmm. jiu-jitsu, are you kind of like doing kind of like a mishmash of everything all at once, or are you keeping all of the disciplines very separate? Well, I usually keep them pretty separate
4: until it's a character or something in, in a movie where he's touching on different things. Oftentimes I'm playing somebody who may be like kind of, I don't know, uh, elite trained. And so I could use different disciplines that would fit that, but usually it's about the character I'm playing. I've I've done like wushu kung fu for a lot of years, ever since I was like 14, I have yet to really do much of that discipline until I, you know, like maybe if I'm in, in, that's something that kind of did a little bit when I did a few movies in China, but, um, you know, that particular discipline is very flourishing, very you know, big and broad, doesn't really lend itself to a lot of the regular combat fighting. So it depends on the character. And I'll kind of, you know, kind of brush off that discipline for that particular movie.
2: One of the interesting things about this film is that the characters in the films are also martial artists. So it's a good reason mm-hmm. that you can kind of bring that out. It's very, very handy for the plot that you're actually able to to do that without it having to be an explanation. Right. Yeah, it was
3: amazing because when we first had the script brought to us and we were offered the roles, we were like, "Was this written for us?" It, you know, this husband and wife yeah. that are martial artists and train together, but the script had been written, you know, well before us. And
4: yeah, yeah, it, I'm, it I'm, just I'm, was
3: ironic. It was <laughs>
2: like, nobody's going
4: to believe that we didn't that this
3: wasn't yeah. written. For yeah, us. yeah, that we have something like, to do
4: with this script. Yeah,
2: <laughs> you <know>. I think <laughs> I assumed that you'd kind of generated the story or you generated something about.
4: It. No, 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 we didn't. It was all. Actually, the writer mm-hmm. was, is, a, is a martial artist.
3: Yeah, so he wrote it. Yeah,
4: the, the writer's a martial artist. I don't know if his if he's married or whatever, but he wrote the story as two martial artists, um, you know, a husband and wife yeah. and a, the husband teaching a,
2: a martial arts uh, class. And Michael, did you ever consider doing it professionally? What's that? A professional well, fighter. Oh, absolutely. Well, n- well
4: n- n- kind of, kind of. I knew, I mean, I've been around the fight world for a lot of years. So a lot of my best friends have been fighters, and I've lived vicariously through them. Uh, a lot of my friends, I w- when they were training for big fights, I'd be part of their camps. I, I mean, I had box, boxer. Uh, one of my best friends was a boxer and all the martial artists. But I, st- I stepped back from that, and I, I kind of looked at it from a, a distance, and I said, well, I don't know if that um, – it, it didn't have enough to me uh, even right, right now with the UFC being, that's the biggest worldwide martial arts um, kind of fighting league. It's still kind of fringe, you know, it's like the only the people who follow UFC know who these people are, even at this day and age. And so back then it was really, you know, it really kind of thankless, you know, I knew <laughs> people who were world champions that you know, if you weren't part of that league or, uh, you know, a martial art nerd, you wouldn't know who they were. And they couldn't really, you know, it was, they wouldn't make him very much money, you know? So my thing was, I always loved to compete against the top guys for just for me, you know, just for, just to, you know, to, to live that and, and test myself. Um, but no, um, getting paid for it and, and actually going, uh, like living the life of a fighter was nothing that was uh, attractive to me. You, <laughs> no. I, I so,
1: too... so you played Mike Tyson in 1995? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And uh, and obviously he's a boxer. Yes. Um Did you have to learn boxing to play Mike Tyson? Or no. was that already... Not not really, because I'd already
4: kickboxed and boxed and like I said, my, my, my best friend was the super middleweight champion of the world, who was a stablemate of Mike Tyson. And so I had been training and boxing with like you know, the top trainers like um uh, Joe Goose and, and um Freddie Roach and also um Emmanuel Stewart uh prior to doing the movie. So yeah, I, I was I was quite adept at, at boxing. I just had to emulate the Mike Tyson style for the movie.
1: Um, you said that you would fight him for free, didn't you? <laughs> yeah,
4: yeah, I would. Yeah, well, I, yeah. I, would, yeah. I, I mean, I, like, like I said, for years, uh, m- when my friends are in um, a, a training for a fight, they need sparring partners. And just like with, I've always, um, I've done this with Lehman Brewster, who's a former heavyweight champion. I, he knocked out uh, Klitschko I've trained and box with people like that. And that's a joy of mine. And so I offer it up. If, if Mike Tyson was getting ready for another fight, I would gladly uh, be one of his sparring partners. I, I, I would love that. Uh, so that's nothing about, you know, not about a, a purse
2: or anything else like that. That's just a win-win situation. So it's just you know, about playing with the best. You want to be with the best in the world. Absolutely. I mean, there's not that many
4: really good heavyweights. I know what I'm doing. I've studied him <laughs> for twenty years. So I kind of familiar with him. And I think I could I could have a lot to offer, you know? So that that's what it was. But it just kind of spawned into this whole thing like I'm challenging Mike Tyson. Where it's like, no
2: <laughs> Do you both get that the same way with acting? Do you like kind of playing against other sort of Actors that you can kind of if you if you're playing with really good actors, I guess you also improve your own game, right? And he feels like there's a is there a competitiveness even within acting? Not some not no, for me.
3: Not for me either.
2: Mm-mm. No, yeah. I just think people who are really good
4: actors bring it they make it better for you because they, Absolutely. their reality bounces off of yours. And so you forget that you're acting. Mm-hmm. That that's what the, that's what I love about it. It's, it's never a competition. I never, it's I never, never understood competition. the competition yeah, part because yeah. unless you're playing the
2: same role, how are you competing?
4: Right. You know
2: yeah. what I mean? You know. I, but I guess that also does show, doesn't it, that, that if everyone's good, like if you're playing against good people, then everyone's like everyone's going to be better.
3: Yeah, and Absolutely. it's a win-win situation because if you're in a film together or a scene together, it only makes everybody look good. Yeah. If everyone is up to par with their acting.
4: Yeah, that's why with us mm-hmm. working together. Oh my God, it doesn't feel like acting yeah. like, you know, and so I mean, even when we're playing even bickering or anything else like that, it's like you know you know the the playing off of each other and the nuances that you you play off it, it's it's like doesn't feel like i mean when we were watching the movie it's like i don't know I don't know about you, but uh-huh. it's like it's almost like I forget that we did the scene because it felt just like.
3: How we are? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just, just if we have a conversation in the bedroom, mm-hmm. that's how it was on screen. Yeah.
2: yeah. And this film, talking about actors, also has, you know, uh Mickey Rourke in it, who feels like a very kind of iconic actor, playing playing the good. big villain of the movie. Well, what's yeah. Mickey Rourke like in real life? What's he? What's he like yeah. to work with? Yeah.
3: He's great. I mean, I was just so excited when I found that Mickey Rourke was coming on board. I was like, oh my god, because he, like you said, he's iconic. I mean, look at the his resume of films and how long mm-hmm. he's been acting for. Mm-hmm. And uh, he's such a good villain. And it was great for me to have to play off of that because he's so good as a villain. It made my character like real. Cause I hate, I hate him. In movie. He's, he's, <laughs> <laughs> he's pretty much ruined my life. So, <laughs> you know, it was great to be able to, uh, you know, bring that to life.
4: Yeah, I mean, Mickey M- to me is just like the last vestiges of like, like when Hollywood was great, you know, he just radiates such, such a, a persona. I, I remember when he did, uh, what was it? What was that? Okay. Um, Zack Snyder movie, but even, even under the makeup, he just, Oh, ah. Sin, Sin City. He just has this, this, this thing that yeah. I feel like, man, we're losing, you know, as the, the that generation, um, go, goes away. I mean, it's, it's great to see somebody who has that thing still. Yeah. It's
3: a certain depth, you know, it's not surface. Yeah. It bring a certain depth to the character.
4: Yeah, man. Yeah. So, so, you know, I've gotten to work. I, I, it's funny. We go back a long ways. The, the, the buddy, my best friend, uh, the, the former boxer was actually good friends with Mickey. And we used to all hang around together way back in the day. But that, that, that's like, you know, it, like I've known mickey for a while in indirectly, but um yeah, so you know it was great working with him this time I'd forgotten that because he well, was a boxer wasn't he for you. Well, yeah.
2: mickey
1: yeah. gave Mickey gave up acting at the early nineties late eighties to become um a professional boxer, didn't he yeah, yeah, he did yeah and I, I was you know
4: like I was right there i remember when mickey was was sleeping in the uh, in the um in the gym. He was really devoted, you know, and that's one of the things that is, mm-hmm. uh, I think, a cornerstone of those kind of kind of actors who just submerge themselves in a lifestyle mm-hmm. or just there's something that they there's a code that they live by or they can live or die by. Mm-hmm. And, and that's I think is the essence mm-hmm. of what makes him interesting and what makes him special, because he brings that to the characters. Mm-hmm. There is a line that this character will live and die by and there's a commitment there that you really don't see no. or
2: believe in a lot of the younger actors these days. Yeah. He definitely has a real presence, doesn't he? So he doesn't have to do a lot, but yet yeah. you kind of find him terrifying. He's not, <laughs> he's, not he's just <laughs> got this presence. He doesn't have to say anything. Well, he he believes it. To, you it. believe it. Yeah. He believes
4: it. And therefore you believe so. him. Right, exactly. Yeah. exactly. Yeah. So that that's, you know, and I, I was lucky to work with him twice. Like we did this movie and then he, he did a, a, a movie like what, uh, with me that I was the lead in Mm -hmm. about three or four months after we finished ours.
1: Yeah. So when when did you, when did you finish this one? Is it August?
4: Well, if you say it's August, you you might be right. I'm, I'm terrible. I'm, (laughs) I'm clueless. So,
3: you know, we, we, we finished the majority of in August. I had to leave for Atlanta to shoot a TV show for three weeks and so we stopped it and then as soon as I was done with the T V show, we came back and we did a few of the pickup dates for like maybe four days.
4: I'll go with what you mean <laughs> yeah, like like she's like great at that. I, I can't remember what happened
2: last week.
3: <laughs> yeah, so I'd say our our last pickup days were in September.
2: And you've both worked with Quentin Tarantino, right? And on uh, Jackie Brown and Kill Bill volume two.
3: Yeah,
2: yeah, we <laughs> yeah, were we were both cut out of Quentin Tarantino that movies. Funny,
3: <laughs> <laughs> cut out now was cut out.
2: <laughs> I've seen them both though; they're all on the kind of
3: they're all on, on the YouTube kind of, yeah, of right. special DVDs, <laughs> yeah. yeah, special edition. So what's
2: it what's it like being cut out
1: of a Quentin Tarantino film?
3: <laughs> <laughs> Disheartening, no. <laughs> no.
4: You know, you know, at the time, Quentin and I were friends, right? So. Um, th- he had written it. There was a really big portion of the movie that I was supposed to be in, and it was supposed to be um, be the entrance to the the Bill character, and it was this big uh, set piece with at a casino, and a, and I was this sword carrying tuxedo, like very much like James Bond tuxedo, sword carrying g- guy that was running the thing, but um, while he was in China. He, you know, he called me up. And he said, "Hey, man, you know, I got this idea of another way to actually show the massacre at the at the church that happened, like during the wedding." And he says that might be a better uh, entrance to the Bill character. And I couldn't deny. I was like, "Man, you, you're right, man. I I understand. You, you know, friends first. This is better for the movie." And then later on, he said, "Man, I still want you to do this fight scene. <laughs> I want you to come <laughs> out here and do the fight scene." And, you know, when I got there and it was like, you know, he still wanted to do the fight, fight scene with Bill as a flashback. And we all used to always kid around. I, you know, he and I would play the Chinese characters. And, I, you know, I'd be like, hey, where do you think you're going? I'll kill you. <laughs> you know, that We we would do that all back and forth. And then the, the day of the, the, the scene, he comes with these handwritten <laughs> um, uh, dialogue and says, hey, we're gonna do it like like a, the old Chinese movies. I'm like, are you kidding? And he's like, and then he shot it like that. And that, that's why I'm talking the way I am in those, that, that uh, you know, the. the
2: deleted. But it, you almost it, have like an Australian accent or something in it. They've yeah, dubbed it. Because, but it, was,
4: it. Well, it was kind of like they, they would, I think there was a New Zealanders that, that used to do the, all the dubbing. Oh, really? Okay. Right. And then, you know, so it's like I've been a teacher for twenty-two years, and you know, like yes, I grew up with that, and so, and so when he cut it out, I was like, I wasn't mad because I was sitting there going, "How does this fit in the movie?"
2: <laughs> so well, I guess I mean, that's it. They've put it on. I mean, it's the only deleted scene that they seem to have put only out.
4: There. Scene, yeah, but. I mean, I don't know. I kind of felt like, you know, like he felt bad and wanted me to come down. But it was, it was, a, it was a ball. But I, I've never been uh, angry about that decision. I, I you know, I love mo- movie making and storytelling. And I didn't quite understand that. But, I, you know, I, I appreciated the
2: gesture. There's something quite similar to Kill Bill about this film as well, right? With the, but with Mickey Rourke maybe as the kind of Bill character. He does seem to have this kind of control over your character, Gillian, just from this kind of time he's had with them. There's a right. Sort of, I mean, tonally they're very different, but um, but there's a sort of similar. I can kind of imagine it being if you like Kill Bill or something. I could see you getting something similar. It's a, it's a similar story but told in a completely different way.
3: Yeah, well, there definitely is that control factor, especially you know the fact that I've gone on with my life but I haven't told my husband. I, no one knows my past. Mm-hmm. So there is that control in a sense because I can't be honest. Mm-hmm.
1: But it no. also, it's also a film that's got sort of a social conscience to it as well, isn't it? And it's, and it's about uh, domestic violence and uh, sex trafficking. Uh, and is that one of the things that sort of uh, appealed to you about making it?
3: Oh, yeah. Um, you know, I, I love working on any project that brings to light a very relevant and important subject, you know, sex trafficking goes on all the time. It's not something that's always talked about only in a certain circumstance that might be on the news, but it's an everyday thing. I mean, we have daughters, I hip them to all kinds of stuff all the time. I'm like, you have to be aware of your surroundings. You cannot be on your phone. You have to pay attention. Look at people, look at what they're doing. Just pay attention because you know, these Sex traffickers they just snatch people that quick. They snatch these girls that quick. So it's important that, you know, in, in the film, the fact that I was taken and now this person is taken our daughters. So it's, you know, it's it hits, it kind of hits home, you know, the fact that we have three daughters.
1: Yeah. I know that that's sort of, I mean, I know that's sort of what um, Stallone ended up doing with the last few... Uh, Rambo films was he picked sort of like, he picked an issue that was going on in the world and then he made sort of like an adventure film around it but really it's kind of like shining a light over here. Mm -hmm. It's kind of it's kind of like um, you know, using your skills and your ability to kind of like make films but then also shine a light on an issue that maybe kind of gets swept under the carpet a bit. I thought that I thought that that was a really great interesting part of the film.
4: Well, thank you. Well, that's kind of how we want to do. That's personally like how I like to choose any kind of action films. There's going to be the action quotient that will take care of itself, that will preach to the choir. But outside of that, I think if it's an action film, the way I look at it is if you take the action out of it, is it a good film? Is is there something for, you know, the non-choir type of person? And this is something that, that actually ticks that box. And, I, I, you know, I, I think that's what makes it
2: a full, you know, full-rounded film.
3: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's every element in this film. Yeah. Every element.
2: <laughs> <laughs> and one of the big news stories in this country, and I imagine in, in the States as well this week, has been the uh, Prince Harry, Meghan Markle interview with Oprah mm-hmm. Winfrey. And one of the things that came out of that was um, talking about Tyler Perry, who had put them up in one of his homes and given his security to them. And I know you've both worked with him. Is that the kind of generosity of kind of spirit you kind of associate with him?
3: Yeah, Yeah, He's extremely generous. Um, You know, he he looks out for the people he cares about.
4: Yeah. I mean, I I think, I mean, I've been a friend of Tyler before he was Tyler Perry and um, he's it's, it's it's amazing. There's a combination of this mogul and he's a very simple guy at the same time you know what I mean? Like he, you know, he's like a work, you know, just he, I mean, his work ethic is like, I've never seen anybody yeah. like work as hard as him.
3: You wonder when he sleeps. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> but yeah.
4: But if there's an issue that, I mean, it's, it's one of those things that he's like, Oh, that's not right. Let me do something about it. Yeah. <laughs> and he just, you know, in his way, he just goes directly at it, mm-hmm. you know? So, I mean, it's never surprising. Like, yeah. like with the, the guy that was, um, uh jo- jeffrey jeff jo- jeffrey um that used to be on um
3: oh on on the cosby show yeah on the cosby show right.
4: and he was uh, wrong <laughs> tyler's like we'll have none of that he yeah. just goes and Gabe hires a guy and, on the
3: show and, you
4: know makes a statement <laughs> and instead yeah. of sitting there and talking about well that's not right he just does it yeah you know so that's that's the simplicity of how he goes goes about things he just mm-hmm. goes directly at it this is another situation
2: where I think Tyler just said like, that's not right. Let me do something about it. Right. That's Jeffrey Owens. Wasn't it? Yeah. from uh, yeah. Yeah. yeah, Yeah. Yeah. And it, yeah, it just, um, I guess that's true. I guess that's all those things. We can always watch things and think what a terrible thing that is. But part of the, the best way to deal with it is just to do something about it. If you possibly can, I guess is the answer. Yeah. yeah he doesn't yeah.
3: talk about it. He actually acts upon it. So yeah. that's, that's, that's an amazing quality to have.
2: Um, I'm a big fan of black dynamite. Michael. Um, and and you're so great doing comedy. Me and Nick come from stand-up backgrounds, Mm -hmm. and it it does feel like it's, um, I mean, it's great to see the kind of martial arts thing, but it feels like it's such a gift. I'd love to see you do more comedy. Have you got anything in the pipeline? Oh, I do. (laughs) I do. (laughs) I I,
4: I have a, a movie called The Outlaw Johnny Black, which is, I mean, which is basically the next iteration of Black Dynamite. Right. uh, When when I first did Black Dynamite, I wanted to do these three, uh, kind of in the black exploitation genre kind of thing is the hyper action thing, Black Dynamite and another Western, which is Outlaw Johnny Black. And the third would be like the horror movie, like the Blackula, like that type of thing. (laughs) But we are done with it, with the, um, with the, uh, the Western. And I gotta say, I'm, I'm very happy about it. It's got amazing stars in it. Uh, uh this lady's in it as well with me <laughs> and, and produced it with me. And um we but we got we got a, a major we've got some some something like close to 30 like you know very recognizable yeah, like very well known actors. Yeah, so yeah, so that's coming. And and if you like Black Dynamite, you'll be happy that we're we're on that that train again. Oh wow. It's oh wow right. uh, Yep, yeah. So <laughs> something that that might be called blacker dynamite
2: may become <laughs> i just think it's such well, a yeah. well put together movie and it feels like even though you know it's kind of a spoof there's something yeah. about the way it's filmed and the sort of the color palette that, and the production design it completely mm-hmm. fools the eye that you, you it does just feel like it's totally a film from that era, the early seventies or something, right down to things like cigarette machines and things feel like <laughs> yeah. it, you just you watch it and have to keep telling yourself, Oh this isn't from the time, and you almost right. you laugh at something and it's that's the point where it tells your brain that oh this isn't this isn't actually a movie from the early seventies this is right. I love it I love it it's a great movie it comes comes from a of loving homage oh to yeah movies.
4: and so you know, th- that's, that's mm-hmm. something. I mean, I, th- I think the, the, the guys from stranger, stranger things, yeah. they got it right where you've, you had a genre, you had something that was so alive. And mm-hmm. so in that moment that even though a young audience weren't, you know, they weren't there to experience it the first time, but they still get all the nuances and the feelings yeah. that we got when, when it was, when it was fresh and in new. In the eighties. Yeah. So that's, that's the, that's the kind of way that I like to work this. Yeah. Yeah, so, you know, the, the the other we will, you know, the, the, the lovers of that genre and then that that period get to relive it. Mm-hmm. But a, a new new generation gets to experience it right. the, the same way we did. Yeah. So that's that's the idea. It's,
1: so have you started filming this Western yet or is that? Is oh, that no, it's done. Oh, yeah. it's done. It's done. So, yeah, right. it,
4: it's, it's done. Just so.
3: in post right now. Yeah yeah
1: so uh, how hands on are you are you going? To, are you watching dailies and stuff i, I mean are you watching well, yeah,
4: yeah I, i'm the- du- i'm the director writer you know
1: and you know, it's it, it's, an, it's enough <laughs> of me in
4: that thing. <laughs> so <laughs> this is just
1: all, this is all year yeah
4: yeah it's kind of like the you know the makers of black dynamite do a western yeah you know it's very much like you know, uh authentic to that that time where you you've had the uh you know you had the shaft but then you know, he follows it up with Shaft in Africa. Sure, <laughs> you, know, yeah, yeah. you know what I mean? Yes, and so, yes. it, you know, the, the the film company have a have a hit, and then they move on to do their next thing. So, of course, yeah, yeah, <laughs> very much like my heroes from your your country, uh, the the Python guys. You know, sure. you know that you know life. You know, you you've got Life of Brian that followed uh, Holy Grail, and that- you know, so
2: it's that team and it's that humor. That it is, it's very similar sort of sense of humor, and it's it's really because you've got jokes in the dialogue, you've got jokes in the background. It's it's there's jokes coming from every direction. It's it's um it's a terrific film. I love it. Yeah, I've got things in Black Dynamite that's completely lifted from Monty Python.
4: <laughs> Honestly,
3: he's a it, huge fan of Monty. Python.
4: Yeah. Yes. <laughs> big big. Yeah. <laughs>
2: And um, one, of the film, one of the things we were asking you to – we played – we were asking about your favorite songs, and we played Lovely Day, which is your choice, wasn't it, Gillian?
3: Yeah, I love that song. That's the kids know they're like, Mom, that's your feel-good song. I'm like, yep, always puts me in a good mood.
2: <laughs> do, you have a, do you have any other associations with it? Do you remember when you first heard it or anything? Or?
3: Uh, no, I, I, I honestly can't. It's just, it's just every time I hear that song, it's on the radio, in a movie – it's something about that song that just lifts my spirit. I, I don't know. It's a weird. It's, you know, certain songs, they just make mm-hmm. you feel good. And that, that song has always done that.
2: For me, that's a song that I, I always just always. wait for. <laughs> I, I always wait for the long note at the end. That always feels like you're waiting for. I know.
3: Just and I, and I, I try How many? to hold the note. <laughs> I try to hold the note and see. And then I'm like, oh!
2: yeah. uh, Well,
1: I, was, uh, I went out for dinner with my family. And it was my sister and her husband and my mom and my dad. And my girlfriend and we were all sat around this big table in a restaurant and um and I just go, thank well, thanks very much. That was a a lovely day <laughs> and my mum and my sister and my girlfriend all sat around going "Lovely day Love, right. <laughs> lovely day and um, my dad and my sister's boyfriend, husband, just stared at me. Like they didn't know what the fuck I was doing. But, um, but all the women around the table instantly leapt on that. And were like, yeah, we'll join in. That was fine. Um, yeah, it's, it's a great song. Um, one of your uh, favorite films here is uh, The Princess Bride.
3: It is. Both of ours. It's so funny. We didn't know that that was our, and one day we just happened to say, it and he's like, that's my, I'm like, me too. I'm like, I love that movie.
1: That's kind of like, that's sort of like um, uh, an introductory level for people that haven't quite decided whether they like Monty Python yet. It's kind of like a gateway. You, if you like Princess Bride, you'll probably like Monty Python. Yeah. Um, yeah,
4: I, I just love the levels.
3: Every level. Just
4: everything. There's, there's a very intellectual level, then there's a, a silly level. And you there's, know, of course, there's a-, a
3: romance
4: yeah, and then there's the abstract stuff, you know, yeah. which, which w- made me really love uh, Monty Python, because yeah. you, they just had the nerve to just be ridiculous sometimes, <laughs>
1: you know. It, well, it works as a lot of things all at once, you know. It's kind of like, I, I watched it when I was a kid, and mm. then I've watched it again as an adult. And you kind yeah. of get, you get do- totally different things out of it, and it's a it's a kids film, it's an adventure film, it's a comedy, mm-hmm. it's a pastiche. It's like, oh, it's based on a book as well, so it's kind of. Yeah. You know. But it's,
4: it's also you know based on people's knowledge of movies because they, you know the, the storytelling, and they they poke fun at storytelling sometimes, mm-hmm. just like with the end of Monty Python and the end of uh, Life of Brian. It just goes, <laughs> it just goes, screw it. Here's the end of the movie. We'll throw all of this shit at you. And, it's exact, and if you look at you, you, you look at the end of uh, Black Dynamite, I did the same exact thing. It's like, <laughs> screw it. You know, beats up the president. His girlfriend runs into the room. How does she get to the White House? Who cares? <laughs> it's like all of that is just
2: totally an uh, influence of Monty Python. Yeah. I think I'm going to watch Black Dynamite again tonight. I can't, um... <laughs> it's gonna happen it's gonna happen no i love the princess bride i saw it um when i was a kid and it came out and they i used to go to this i think nick used to go as well to the uh, over here there was a children's cinema club at at the barbican Mm. and one week they had it as a preview and we're all kids and none of us knew anything about it and it's such a great way to watch a movie just going in and just being like we don't know what it is it's a new preview of this movie and it was just that. And it was like nothing I'd ever seen. But like you say, it was nothing, but it was also like everything we'd seen before, but yeah. sort of poking fun at itself and yeah. uh, great jokes. And, you know, it's sort of, yeah, it, it's very much like it's, it plays on your own um, on kind of genre tropes that you know are going to happen. But then if it twists it or it doesn't do that thing, it's suddenly right. like you think you know what you're watching and it keeps turning. Every yeah. Every scene is great. I love it. What a great movie! <laughs> I was going to say.
1: I was going to say. That's not. Um, uh, uh, we've only got like ten minutes left. Can you talk to um, Gillian? Can you talk to us a little bit about what it was like working with uh, Spike Lee on Bamboozled?
3: Oh boy, it was. I mean, well, once again, another icon. Um, he is so focused, and I, I remember even when I auditioned, he was so on me in the audition. I actually left the audition in tears. Cause I was like, there's no way I'm going to get this part. He just kept forcing me to be better and be better and be better and do it again, do it again. And the audition, I walked out that audition, like, Oh my God, I didn't get it. I blew it. Uh, a week later, my agent calls me. Yeah. You got the part. I'm like, what? I thought he hated me, you know, but he that's just how he is. He's on you. And he was, you know, he's on every bit of you during the film, the process, the rehearsals. It was great. You know, that's, I mean, just to say I was in a Spike Lee film is is awesome to say because he's had so many classics. Yeah, he, right. he's one of my favorites.
2: He's someone who's endlessly impressive because he seems to. You think of him and you know that he teaches and he does all this stuff, and yet he still seems to produce a new movie every year, almost like clockwork. It's sort of, it's yeah, sort of astonishing and to have done it for for thirty odd years. It's quite it's yeah. quite astounding. <laughs> Absolutely. One of the things that about the uh, Take Back that I loved as well is the scene with the pizza cutter. And as, as as soon as it happens, you think, oh, I'm going to be every time I use a pizza cutter now for the rest of my life. I think that's what <laughs> I'm going to think of. Yeah. We
3: uh, were I, like, you're never going to want to use a pizza cutter. Yeah,
4: right? I, 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 that, that, that's one of my, my little things I threw in there. Because like, w- with the action, I, I, I rewrote a lot of things in the action. And I was like, huh, haven't seen this before. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so I threw the pizza cutter in. There was actually a scene that we were like le- later on. <laughs> Where you know the kind of yeah. thing pops up, of where you know we're you know where I don't want to use it. <laughs> like she like, pizza comes up and and we're right. and I'm like, like
3: nah.
2: <laughs> but that does that feels like again it does feel like a very kind of iconic moment and and it is, it surprisingly think oh yeah I've never seen that before it's right. always great to have yeah. something and you just think never ever seen it and now exactly. you never. <laughs>
3: You know, hey, yeah. there's a lot of things you would use if a situation like that happened. You're yeah. going to grab what you can. Oh, <laughs> yeah. I, thought that, I
1: thought that scene was great. When you grab onto the handle and then he grabs you and then you pull the drawer out and then you use the drawer as a shield. I thought that bit was great. Yeah, because um,
3: you think stuff falls on the floor. You don't know what... Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, I found, ...what you grab.
1: Yeah. I, I don't know if I've, ne- I've mentioned this, but um, I've been making a lot of picture frames and um, <laughs> they... They have there's
3: fingers no, like, one now.
1: <laughs> there's this uh there's this cutter, it's a paper cutter, that's like a pizza cutter. Yeah. And yeah. uh uh and it's it's really great, Nathaniel. It's like a it's like a it's it's like a Stanley knife, only uh it's like a pizza cutter for paper. Um <laughs> and when I saw that I was just kind of like, I wonder would that work as like a defence thing? Um <laughs> yeah. but, yeah, it was great. My other favorite bit was the, the bit at the end when uh, you turn at Michael and uh, the guy tells you to put your gun away. Oh,
3: yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, what are you doing with that yeah. thing?
1: Yeah. <laughs>
4: sometimes it's improv and stuff. Yeah. But, you know, and, and, you know, you, you, and, and it works because, you know, I, I, I so wanted to play a character that was not, like. Not tough. That you normally see me right. doing, you know what I mean? Sure, so, yeah. And those glasses worked like amazingly yeah. because it just, for some reason, just you know, those glasses
1: just kind of cut me down a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I noticed even in the training sequences you're wearing them and I was sort of like going, oh, yeah. But I was also a bit worried that you'd get hit in the face and that your glasses would break. I was kind of.
2: Um... <laughs> well, You'll both, both know this, but it almost feels that whenever you meet anyone in real life who's Great at martial arts, they're often the calmest people you'll meet, and they're never ever going to be people that that feel threatening or anything because they know that they're absolutely fine. They're not. There's, there's a sort of um...
3: It's nice to hear you. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm scared
4: of me. Everybody's scared. Of him. They think he
3: walks around kicking people in the head and beating up everybody on the street. Yeah,
4: it's just the weirdest. <laughs> This thing, I could be talking about the, the most innocent thing in the world. And they're like, man, I hate to get in a fight with you. Like, why is that on your mind? <laughs> <laughs> well, we were scared, and we're meeting you on Zoom. <laughs> it's well, fine. You know, it, but I'm, I'm, I'm happy to hear that, because I always yeah. say I'm the last person that would lose their temper. Yeah. You know?
2: So. But there is always that sort of – there's often a serenity, isn't there, about people who are very good at martial arts and things that, that feels yeah. kind of unusual. Yeah, the, the ones that have, have dealt with
4: their demons because hope, hopefully, mm-hmm. with martial arts, as in you know, even the armed forces, the, the most lethal people are at peace. Yeah. Mm-hmm. you know, the, you know, and, and um, it's it's the the ones that are still have the chip on their shoulder that have something to prove. Right. I'm not going to mention uh, other um, people's names. You know? <laughs> <laughs> Go on. Some martial arts stars that you might have heard of, and you know. <laughs> You no know, because it's like if you really kind of gone through you know kind of w- walked the burning sands you don't have to do that anymore but those that, who skip well, you don't have to
3: prove yourself Yeah,
4: who skip around right. it they have to prove themselves right. all the time. Hmm. And um you know and I feel I feel sorry for them because they're not at peace. Hmm. Yeah. So it's it's that. It's it's like there's there's far more dangerous are like you know uh security guards, you know that that will be likely to use uh, use excessive force mm. than a Navy SEAL or MI MI six <laughs> if that if that really exists now, <laughs> but, <laughs> but, I mean, but you know uh, somebody who's really uh, uh, a tested warrior, yeah. they're they're calm. Exactly, I always find that
1: and, um, <laughs> Nathaniel, because uh, we're coming to. Close to the end. Uh, Nathaniel worked in a comic shop and I grew up watching uh, people work in comic shops. <laughs> um, <laughs> but um, uh, I was uh, such a huge Spawn fan uh, in, in the 90s uh, when the film came out. Uh, and I, I remember going to see it at the, at the cinema. Um, have you got any uh, particular memories of making Spawn?
4: Oh yeah, it was it was it was quite rough. I was hap- I was happy to, you know, to to have done the movie. Hmm. Uh I I was a bit claustrophobic before that movie and had to get over it. <laughs> but but yeah, it was it was a it was a hell of an experience and and um just there's so many lasting uh um uh lessons from from doing that movie. Uh it taught me some, some you know, it kind of like um, reminded me of stuff that I, I had to work on doing stage, you know, uh, emitting uh, this, the, the character beneath everything because I had to emote. I had to um, tap into the humanity of the character without necessarily using my external tools, you know, mm-hmm. and it, it had to be something internal that people had to connect with. And so that was like a really good exercise for me to bring out the humanity of this hideous uh creature, um, so that people can follow this hero this, you know, this hero's journey. So yeah, it was it was it was a it was a great it was great for me all the way around. Uh you know, you know, and it was a, a challenge, but something that I really cherish.
2: That makes a lot of sense, because I guess you'd need someone like a martial artist or someone like a mime or someone that can use their body or something to to sort of tell a story because we're so limited. (laughs) Yeah, of course. (laughs) Or or an actor. Yeah, you could (laughs) have an actor. (laughs) (laughs) That's true. That is
4: true. (laughs) I I mean, you know, you got, it goes back to Phantom of the Opera, um, you know, um, Beauty and the Beast—that kind. of, You know, you you have to be, you have to touch into the humanity of that character, and you know, when you can't use your looks and everything else, you know. So, yeah.
1: yeah. Mm-hmm. I didn't even. I mean, obviously, I mean that's incredibly obvious now that you mention it. But I just thought of you as Spawn. But then you're <laughs> only you're only not you know absolutely covered in makeup for maybe ten percent of the film
4: yeah 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 probably probably even less than that but i've learned you know that was a real that was such a such a um um uh learning thing because it was very i had to do most of my stunts it was so easy for you to look like a guy in a suit if you if you behave just like regular people and so sometimes my stuntmen didn't understand the internal um uh qualities of the character and they could just sit down and you know whatever and it's yeah. not you had to not you had to you know you had to present yourself as otherly you know otherworldly mm-hmm. in all in the way it moves and everything else and so that was like a, a hell of a a, a learning experience because i mean when we see uh the the stunt guys or you know they say there's something not right with this it's not this and, and and I had to wind up doing stuff, and it looked different because the internal um, ethos of the character. So yeah, that was a big learning thing, and, and it's one of those things that goes without people really knowing or really appreciating. I mean, they they appreciate it subtly, but they don't know why.
1: Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it's a subconscious, subconscious thing.
4: It's mm-hmm. a, bit, a bit a bit thankless, but it has. To, but it's so necessary.
1: Mm-hmm. Um. We've <laughs> we've come to the end of our hour with you. Um, so uh, we, you've got time for a, a game with Nathaniel, but just mm-hmm. say that your film uh, Take Back is uh, released again uh, uh, on DVD and digital on the 29th of March. And mm-hmm. now, uh, Gillian and Michael, I'm going to hand you over. Can I say one, one
4: thing? Can oh, I say yes? one thing? Because I would be remiss not to mention this because... I, I hope you guys realize the historical significance of this movie. Do you huh? realize that this is the first African-American or black female martial arts action star in the history of films?
1: Didn't realize that. <laughs>
4: well, yeah, I mean, you know, th- this is, and then this is the very first interview <laughs> about a <laughs> <laughs> American lead female martial arts star ever and so I'd be remiss not to mention that that we, we're we we're we're embarking on history right now because That's incredible. yeah we, it just never happened
3: and I had no idea he brought it to my attention and I was like wow you're right I guess. yeah so
4: everybody <laughs> always goes back to wait a minute Pam Greer but no she wasn't a martial arts you know yes yeah but so as in in the vein of Bruce Lee, Chuck Norris, Van Damme, all the leading martial arts action stars, she now goes on that mantle. You know, and so forever. And that that's what it is. Do you think yeah? you
1: would have do you think you would have enjoyed it uh differently had you known that going in, Gillian? Or are you glad that you didn't have that pressure on you?
3: yeah I'm glad I didn't have that pressure on me because i think you didn't you didn't tell me right away you told me like after
4: yeah yeah <laughs> <laughs> well, which is a good thing but did, but i did I know it right away yes i did <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh well great congratulations Thank you. um uh okay i'm gonna hand you over oh. to Nathaniel now and he's gonna take over for the last sorry about this he's gonna ta- hand it, <laughs> take over for the last two minutes so uh, go for it.
2: Gideon, Michael, this game is called Better or Worse, and you have to say whether the next person is better or worse than the person before, based entirely on my own opinion. And I've done this this week with fictional characters, because I kept thinking, you might know, if I did it with famous people, you might know them personally. So, I'm starting with Superman. Is Batman better or worse than Superman, based on my opinion? Better.
0: Better.
4: Is... Superman better or worse than Batman? Mm-hmm. I think
0: Superman
2: better. Okay. Batman's better, I'm afraid. It's Batman. Sherlock Holmes. Is Sherlock Holmes better or worse than Batman? <laughs> is Sherlock, Holmes worse than Batman? <laughs> is
3: Sherlock Holmes better or worse than Batman?
2: He's worse. Is he Sherlock... Is worse. <laughs>
1: Michael and Gillian. Michael and Gillian, I'm, I'm going to have to hurry up, here
2: <laughs> Ebenezer Scrooge, better or worse than Sherlock Holmes? <laughs> Ebenezer Scrooge? Be- yeah. Way worse. 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 <laughs> oh, <laughs> better,
3: better.
0: Way worse. Mickey
2: Mouse, Mickey Mouse, better or worse than Ebenezer Scrooge? Better.
3: Mickey Mouse, way better.
2: better. I would say better. He's better.
3: He's
2: better. <laughs> Darth Vader, better or worse than Mickey Mouse? Darth Vader.
0: Well,
2: he's, wor- he's, he's worse. Way than- way he's worse than Mickey Mouse. Yeah, he probably is worse than Mickey Mouse. <laughs>
3: Daffy Duck.
2: Daffy Duck, <laughs> Daffy Duck. Better or worse than Darth Vader? Uh, Daffy
3: Duck
2: is is be- worse than Daffy Duck? Yeah. Yeah. Daffy Duck's, Daffy Duck's better. better. Daffy Duck is better. He's yeah, better. He's better. Bugs Bunny. yeah, yeah, yeah. He's better than. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> right. Right. Bugs Bunny. Better or worse than Daffy Duck? Bugs Bunny's
3: he's way a, better. He, well,
2: he's a bit of an asshole. He Daffy? was a bit of an asshole. Whoa,
4: you heard it here first, <laughs> guys. <It's laughs> yeah. well,
2: okay. I agree, I agree. Daffy <laughs> Duck, Bugs Bunny is worse than Daffy Duck. Yes, uh, yes, I think so. Correct, correct. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. Donald Duck, better or worse than Bugs Bunny? Better.
3: Well, now I'm questioning because I like Bugs Bunny. You guys know, you don't seem like a bad... <laughs> I
1: think... I think... I think ta- Donald Duck is an asshole if we're going for assholes.
3: Donald Duck was an asshole.
1: Yeah, he's worse. He was. Yeah, Donald Duck was,
3: was worse. decent to
2: his no, girl- he was girlfriend? A <laughs> girlfriend? Like, <laughs> the Daisy Duck, oh, yeah. Daisy hating His girlfriend, sure. We haven't got, we haven't got time for this, guys. Come on. <laughs> keep going. Popeye. Popeye. Better or worse <laughs> than yeah. Donald Duck? Who? Popeye. Popeye. Oh. Worse. oh, Popeye?
3: Popeye was. Popeye's a mutant.
2: He was better. Popeye is <laughs> worse. Good I think Popeye's better. I'm saying Popeye's better. Popeye's better. And Kermit the Frog better or worse than Popeye? Kermit, the, Fro- Kermit the Frog.
3: Kermit the Frog? Oh, he's better. Kermit the Frog was a sweetheart. Yeah, better yeah, than Popeye. yeah. He's better. Yeah. He's better. Yeah.
4: yeah. You got you got to go Tom Hanks to beat to be um Kermit the Frog. Okay. Who's okay. the yeah. person that we'll beats ten. Is that the
0: score? I you, got got eight. Eight. you got an eight? You got an eight? That's a great got an Eight, eight <laughs> out of
1: ten, which means that uh, Michael Jai White and Gillian White, they're not as good as Jen Brister, Thomas Coombs, John Coulter, Jason Manfred, Joe Skadeli with ten, David Baddiel, Ken Cheng, Mike Dracker, Harry Hewlett oh, okay. with nine, but they are as good as Matthew Crosby, Susie Dent, Charles Esten, Henry Fraser, uh, Eddie Hearn, David Hepworth, Jason Isaac, Simon West, very, I mean, this is very average, guys. John Niven, Magical Burns, <laughs> Samantha Morton, Matt Okai, Miranda and Griffith James, Chris Stark, Stu Whiffen with eight. And you're better than Richard Herring, James King, Lady Lynn, Henry Normal, Janet Varney, Johnny Vegas with seven, Gary Delaney, Nell Frizzell, Frank Harper with six, and poor old Dave McLean with five. So you did very, was good. Right. All right, we did
3: like one of your picture frames as a consolation prize or
1: something? Sure, sure. Um, um, thank you for joining yeah, us. Thank you very much, everyone. Uh, stay safe. Uh, look after yourselves. And to Michael White and Gillian White, welcome to the fan club.